Hello, uh, I am thrilled to welcome back uh, Anton Golub, uh, CEO at Swiss-based market makers Flovtech. Welcome back, Anton. Good to see you. Uh, thanks a lot, Paul, for welcoming me. Uh, wishing all the best to you and your audience in 2021 to new and more all-time highs. It's going to be an exciting year for everyone, I'm sure. Well, let us see. That's uh, Maybe we're going to discuss that shortly. Um, yeah, I mean... Incredible starts of the year, first couple of weeks. Um, you know, I don't think we need to uh, remind anyone of that. Um, the froth has come off a little bit, even though we saw Ethereum actually scrape a, a new all-time high, which it hadn't made itself, um, even with the, the Bitcoin rally until this week. But again, it kind of paused there, potential double tops in. Um, we'll see what happens. So, so yeah, what, what are you thinking? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is this a correction? Is this something longer term? What are we yeah. looking at? So uh, first, um, I couldn't be more excited, actually, that we are hitting those all-time highs. Uh, in terms of uh, a bit of an assessment of that, I think that the price went way ahead of where the industry is and where the infrastructure is, where the technology is. Uh, there's so much demand for digital assets, for cryptocurrencies, that it kind of ran up very fast. Yeah. Now, in terms of the corrections, you know, you and I have been around for a long, long time. So we actually know this is just a... Uh, business as usual. So this kind of corrections, you know, 30, 40%, they're actually normal part of an overall bigger trend. So if I have to kind of put my name out, I think this is just a normal co co uh, correction. There's a really, really strong uptrend. I um, couldn't be more bullish. Of course, it won't be the prices go up and down as well. And the more they go up, you know, there's a more liquidity pressure that they move down as well. But I couldn't be more bullish. And just this is just for uh, crypto OGs, I think this is just a minor correction, actually. And personally, I couldn't be more bullish. Okay, well, that's good news. That's good news for everyone. Um, yeah. Let's see how that plays out. I guess um, one point, um, you know, just looking slightly further ahead, and, uh, you know, they say that history doesn't repeat, but it tends to rhyme. Um, next month, uh, CME are going to be launching their Ethereum futures. Um, if people were watching back in 2017, um, the day uh, CME launched their Bitcoin futures marks the then all-time high. We then went into a three-year bear market, or one, you know, three years before we we broke those high again, um, highs again. Now, do you think that could repeat here, um, or do you just think the market's changed? That just happened to be timing at the end of a very long bull run. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So indeed, there was a bit of a coincidence, you know, in my view, last time when we basically had a correction with the launch of the futures, yeah, at the CME. I don't think, I mean, in terms of uh, overall, my positioning where I see the price going, I actually think there will be no impact around that. I think in terms of why it's useful to have now uh, futures on Ether is because my experience so far is that the hardest thing to do in terms of getting institutional investors on board is getting them from zero to Bitcoin, actually. But as soon as they get Bitcoin, they get their first allocation, they ask, what's next to play with? And we have to have something for those institutional investors and Ethereum is actually their next uh, logical choice. So I think, I think it's a great, great um, uh, evolution and progress for our industry, but also for the widest, wider finance industry. You might have heard today or the day before that BlackRock actually is now changing the prospectus in the term sheet for one of their funds that they can trade or invest into CME in futures, but it's obvious that CME futures on Bitcoin. And there will be a great opportunity now for Ether futures to uh, be added to that uh, digital asset uh, composition where they can trade. And I just hope talking about history doesn't repeat, not repeating, but rhyming. I think the timing of CBOE that delisted actually Bitcoin futures as they were tanking in 2018 was probably one of the 
flops of the traditional finance industry. And I hope we learn our lessons and that that doesn't repeat again. And I, I'm actually sure it will not repeat. And we'll have more trading venues around the globe adding Bitcoin, Ether futures. Even I think Litecoin could be the next obvious thing and it's going to be very, very exciting for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, I mean, I guess just looking at the, the headwinds, um, as you said, brought up BlackRock. Um, they didn't specifically state any... Um, uh, investment strategies, but a, a change to their mandate, so they'll be open and free to to trade that when as and when they choose to. Um, and you know, few over the last few weeks, I know before Christmas and after Christmas, we had sort of a not you know, not necessarily completely competing stories, but on one hand, you had uh, the U.S. Treasury um, put out a consultation uh, around whether they were going to um, allow non-custodial wallets uh, to continue not being KYC'd. Uh, I saw this week that they've actually pulled that. They've, uh, there was a huge uh, response from the industry and a successful response from the industry. Yep. So it's great to see that, that on pause. On the other side, we saw uh, the, OC, the US OCC um, uh, permit uh, banks in the US to use public networks for uh, clearing and settlement. So that's very positive as well. So you've got regulators on one hand, I think generally we've seen them be quite positive and supportive. Yes, they need to kind of put checks and balances in place where they need to, but they're generally being such supportive. Now with central banks, maybe less positive. We've seen, you know, in the last couple of weeks alone, Christine Lagarde, I think last week came out with, again, pulling the, the kind of familiar yarns that crypto is only used for uh, money laundering, uh, criminal activities, you know, never really producing much evidence around it. Uh, and this week, Janet Yellen pretty much said the same. Um, and if anyone has uh, noticed Chainalysis, um, the firm that does blockchain forensics and monitors the network, you know, at the same time, they put out a, a report saying that, you know, criminal activity has fallen again on the Bitcoin network down to something like 0.34%. And that's down from 2.1% in 2019. So, you know, that is a significant trend. So it's, you know, I guess anyone within the industry, you know, and Rob finds it rather annoying when these kind of allegations are just thrown out there. Um, but do you think as, as you know, Bitcoin and other crypto prices rise and we get into market caps of trillions, do you think this is going to be a narrative which continues and it's going to kind of the higher it goes, the more concerns they're going to have? Yeah. So I, I think you made a lot of very good points. And I think the first thing we need to do is actually not run away from that fact, you know. So actually, of course, not good things happen within every industry and our industry, no exception to that. And I think we're doing, uh, we are being done a favor by excellent companies like Chain Analysis who actually disprove this mantra that cryptocurrencies, digital assets are only or mostly being used for illegal activity, which is definitely not the case. And everybody who's been actually in the industry for quite some time, like you have been, know what kind of strong checks and balances are actually in place that this doesn't happen. And what I've if I have to look ahead, I think this number of classified transactions that were used for illicit will just continue dropping and will actually, uh, in a positive way, beat the traditional industry very soon around that. My experience with um, talking to people that are high up in the um, monetary institutions is actually their really big concern about the end client, the retail client, touching digital assets or cryptocurrencies. Why? Because in the traditional finance, None, no, no individual ever had direct access to actually uh, 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 currency. When you open your online banking account, those are not, you know, credit Swiss, Swiss francs. If I look at them on the bank, those are, those are not Swiss francs. Those are credit Swiss, Swiss francs, meaning there is an entity in between actually that manages this 
wholesale uh, uh, currency system in the back, but the end user never touches it. Now, our industry and our work has actually brought a really big innovation that, that's for the first time ever possible. You own your own assets and there is no intermediary in between. If I have to reflect on that, that would mean that I would have a bank account with the Swiss Central Bank, or you would actually have a bank account with the Bank of England, and there wouldn't be an intermediary with that. But that's not part of the plans of the monetary institutions, and they see more the digital assets, the cryptocurrencies, where you have regulated and, and selected intermediaries that operate these networks. I personally don't think that's the way to go forward. I don't think that's part of our, our DNA as an industry. But of course, uh, I can also understand the point of the regulators and the monetary institutions who want to have that comfort and safety of the environment they have been used to for decades, if not, not centuries. So these are a bit of an input from my side. Yeah. No, very interesting. Um, I guess uh, just staying on maybe some of that uh, regulatory side of things or, you know, but also crossing over into you know, the broader ecosystem, um, saw a widely kind of circulated uh, article that was published this week by by someone I'm not sure who, um, and I, I guess it's a story that's lingered for some time. But it seemed to raise a few concerns for maybe people that have kind of come into the space more recently. And this is around Tether, um, the stable coin, the uh, U.S. dollar predominantly U.S. dollar backed stable coin, which is, was the first of its kind. Has been around a long time, and with it is kind of carried a little bit of uh, you know um, I guess ne negative press around it, and perhaps for good reason over time. Um, so, so yeah, the, the article was um, in essence suggesting that this is a huge risk in the system. There's been, which again has been publicly reported, they have an ongoing kind of a legal battle with um, the uh, New York Attorney General over their operations. That's been dragging on, and then this story's come up again that you know Tether is this big systemic risk, and if Tether, if the, if the plug was pulled on it, then the whole ecosystem could come crashing down. Do you think that's a valid argument? Yeah, so I have read the same article like you had. And just to emphasize, a relative of mine actually sent me this article who doesn't even know a lot about Bitcoin and said, is the Bitcoin going to blow up because of that? And I thought, okay, if it, if it comes from my relative, then there's definitely something who doesn't even understand well what I'd actually do. There's something off a bit here. Now, I think the confusion about Tether from the, uh, the wider public actually just comes from the fact that they don't understand why Tether exists and why it's used. So Tether is really predominantly used by traders, or even market makers, who actually emphasize it like that, who need who have a need of an ability to move assets very quickly between various digital asset exchanges, OTC uh, uh, marketplaces, and so on. So this is really why Tether is used. How can you fast move uh, a, a dollar a coin uh, when you cannot do it with the traditional uh, uh, banking system? So if I want to move you know, uh, dollars from a... Uh, a bank in Europe to a bank in US, you know, and I'm a market maker, crypto market maker, it would take me three days, if not longer, you know, but with Tether, I do it within extremely fast, actually. So this is actually why Tether is useful, why it's been growing so much and why there's a appetite for it within our industry. Now, I think the controversy comes from why did Tether ever appear? And Tether, if you recall it for quite a few years ago, was tied to first the fact that there were a couple of hacks related to a Digital asset exchange, uh, cryptocurrency exchange is very close to Tether. Then also when they got their uh, uh, banking uh, uh, fiat gateway cut, they had to issue liabilities that were representing uh, those assets that the clients had. And this was kind of the evolution why Tether appeared. So this thing, this is, might be the controversy, how it's backed, uh, how it appeared, uh, and just a lot of uncertainty and unknowns around it. But 
I think also in the context of an industry, uh, that's a bit normal as well, because people, a lot of people uh, ask me why stats are not audited. I tell them, well, practical experience, it's pretty much impossible to get an audit from a big four audit company for a stable coin. You know? So I kind of emphasize, and this is just not how our industry works. And really to go back, I think a lot of this uh, 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 misunderstandings come from that people don't understand the market structure, which very much relates around trading, moving assets. And finally, no, Bitcoin will not uh, collapse if there's anything happens with any stable coin, but uh, in particular Tether. In the opposite will happen, actually. If we have doubts about stable coins, what will people do? They will get out of them into something else and they will buy Bitcoin. So I'm not saying there will not be volatility and it will all go up, but actually the opposite will happen than what the, that particular. Yeah. I mean, you would you, you potentially see a big squeeze on the, on the trading pairs that are against Tether because people were trying to get out of their Tether. So you could see that kind of spread open up. But I'm not sure I'd advise anyone to try and take advantage of that. Um, but as you say, you know, the big difference now is there's alternatives. You know, Tether was solving a specific purpose and a need back then. But, you know, we have other fiat-backed tokens. USDC has been gaining significant traction, um, supported by some leading companies in the industry, Circle and Coinbase in particular. Uh, and they are audited every month by Grant Thornton. So, you know, it's, it's again, part of a natural e evolution. Tether, I guess, is still popular because um, it has so much liquidity in the market. And, you know, you know full well as a trader, you want liquidity and you follow the liquidity. But I think there are alternatives there. I'm sure there would be hiccups. I'm sure there would be kind of a, a short term, you know, uh, complications in the market. But I do think it would personally think it would blow over quite quickly. So uh, hopefully if anyone's watching this and, and they had concerns over that, I do you know, this isn't any kind of trading advice, but um, I do think you know, the points we've made here are, are also valid as well. Okay, so um, well, let's let's move on now to maybe look at the broader market. Um, we're at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, obviously uh, seen seen uh, huge interest and uh, price action at the start of the year, but last year's story, I guess, was all around DeFi. Um, uh, you know, that created a lot of interest in the market last summer. The froth came off of that, but you know, there's still lots of activity there, still lots of interesting projects being uh, um, developed or coming to the market. Uh, what's your view on that sector and what do we need to look out for for the year ahead? Yeah, so um, I was very impressed actually what happened last year with uh, DeFi in context and how it evolved that it kind of like emerged pretty much in my, I was quite surprised out of nowhere and it kind of revolved around yield farming just very interesting. And then we had a really uh, big takeoff of a lot of projects and uh, and also success stories. I really have to say, I mean, Uniswap is doing, uh, you know, today volume that's equivalent, I think, of 2% on what's happening at NASDAQ. I mean, this is highly, highly impressive, yeah. 2%, you say? Wow. Yeah. 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 So if I have to think about what would be the next step, let me try to be provocative. And I think the next success stories in the DeFi space will be the unnatural marriages where you have actually the DeFi component and the CeFi component. So if I have to kind of label it in our language, I think that layer two solutions will actually be maybe a trend in this year in the context of DeFi space. So literally, we you know, we're going to have gateways actually that will maybe perhaps fully be in you know, Ethereum. We'll have a lot of actually close integration with uh, Ethereum with smart contracts, but actually where the, all the action happened, maybe trading will be fully centralized, yeah? So in that context, I think a lot of people told me when I stated that it's a very unnatural fit, you know, but I think it addresses a lot of the problems that we have seen as the DeFi space has grown. I mean, everybody who has hands-on experience with uh, uh, decentralized applications knows that at the moment, blockchain doesn't scale. 
Now we are waiting for those improvements and releases, namely Ethereum 2.0, where those and sharding and a lot of other improvements that might relieve those pressures. But if you have first-hand experience, you know that this doesn't scale. So I think that's a very clever way how to actually uh, uh, circumvent or resolve the problem of non-scalability and just being blockchain being slow as the uh, ecosystem grows. And I think this unlikely marriage might be very interesting, you know, going forward. You know, there are a couple of interesting projects that do things around that. Uh, for instance, Vega Protocol, I look forward, they're about to go launch soon to see those first test cases. But I think, you know, if I have to be provocative, I'll go with our natural uh, marriages or our natural fits. And we see in a year <laughs> how good I was with my prediction. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I definitely agree. So I kind of had those thoughts for some time. But, you know, I, th I think there's too much overemphasis in the industry, perhaps, on decentralize everything. Um, and, um, you know, I, I always use the phrase that people are talking about trustless systems, but I think we're probably better off working towards systems that require less trust. Um, and there can be that happy middle ground where, you know, there's uh, you know, the trust uh, or, or risk is distributed, control and custody is distributed. And I think these will be, um, you know, interested models that will be explored. So interesting you flag that and uh, I look forward to seeing those the developments in that space in particular. Anton, um, we've come to the end of our time this week, uh, but we'll be getting you back on very soon. Thank you, as always, for coming on and sharing your insights, um, and we'll see you again next month. Thanks very much, Paul. It was a pleasure, and I wish everyone to stay liquid and, uh, you know, looking forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much.